You are now listening to Shy Sox Weekly, hosted by Tony Marchese and John Suarez. Everybody, thank you for tuning into Shy Sox Weekly episode 29. I am John Suarez, joined with you today by my co-host Tony Marchese and Johnny Nani. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing excellent, John and Johnny. How are you guys? I'm pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Um, it's been a little while since we last talked. Not us last talked, but last talked with everybody that listens because we haven't really recorded an episode for like three weeks, I don't think. Yeah, it's been a little bit of time. The last episode we did was with White Sox Dave. Thank you again, Dave, for coming on. We talked extensively about the Machado rumors. Um, but, yeah, we uh, we all got to see each other for the first time uh, all together this off season. Uh, I think it was like almost two weeks ago now at the Sox Fest after party. What a night, guys. That was, that was awesome. A blast. Yeah, it was a great time. Absolute um, blast. Team Shy Sox Weekly, as you might have seen on the Twitter, took second place. In the um, from the 108 and Sox Machine trivia challenge that they put together, which was a it was pretty it was pretty well put together to be yeah, honest. I think I might have a screenshot of some of the questions in my phone. Let me look, but yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, I've never personally been to Buffalo Wings and Rings, which is where they had it, and they have fucking gigantic boneless wings. They were delicious. Um, the food was great. They had Modelo on tap, so you got to love that. Not a lot of places have Modelo on tap, so I always respect a spot that's got Modelo on tap. Um, but, yeah, it was awesome seeing you guys most most of all. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And then I like how they gave out the VIP cards, um, you know, so you get like 15% off throughout the season when you show it. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm definitely going to take advantage of that this year. That will it's be good. abused along with that free shuttle to and from the park. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, nice little establishment they have there. Big thanks to Sox Machine from the 108 for putting that together. Um, really, really good time with a bunch of White Sox fans in the middle of the offseason. I think that was needed for everybody. Yeah, so we were kind of hoping going into that that we would have a little bit of news. Um, I did actually just find the picture of the trivia contest just to kind of give you guys an idea of some of the questions that we were um, put up with, but... To basically let you know, I was a little drunk when we started this. I'm pretty sure you guys were pretty drunk when we started this. I was clearly drunk because when I took a picture, I didn't put the one with our answers. I just took a picture of the sheet with all the questions. So, I mean, I remember our answers for the most part. But um, the questions consisted of something like, who was the last White Sox to save at least 40 games in a season? Who led the White Sox in runs scored in 2018? Um, who's the White Sox single season stolen base leader? Just a bunch of White Sox history questions between 2018 and just the White Sox altogether. Um, there were a couple like trick questions and like ones that threw us some curveballs, but we had DJ who was pretty on it with most of the fucking questions. I gotta say, yeah, that he's he's pretty smart with his uh, White Sox history knowledge. But I just like to also say that. Uh, it was also commented that uh, Shy Sox Weekly drinks as hard, if not harder, than from the 108. And I Who just want to give – actually, Beef Loaf did. Work hard, play hard. Yeah, yep. we uh, the gift that we got, or like the prize that we got, was a uh, $25 gift card, which immediately went to more beers. So that just kind of backs up the statement of that we do drink as hard or harder than the 108. Our guest tonight 
was probably the star of that party because that man knows how to take down Malort. And he is <laughs> an expert on all things Malort. Guys, we've got P-Knolls from Sox Machine here. And Johnny, uh, th- I think you were the brainchild behind this operation a little bit with the with the Malort. Uh, let's mm-hmm. let's tell the story of what happened here, and then we'll bring him in. Yeah. So when you had just suggested getting shots, um, I know you guys were going to do what was it, Jack Fire or Fireball or something like that, just for you guys. Remember. And then so we had with our buddy because uh, we had Ron Luce from um, Four Feathers who was there with us, part of the Shy Sox Weekly team that night. But um, we couldn't get Tyler to come. Uh, he was busy training for a fight that he had coming up. So his f- favorite liquor is Malort. So we said, one of us will do a Malort shot for you in your honor. So um, I I had gotten one for myself and then figured, hey, you know what? These guys are up on the panel. Let's uh, let's, let's hand out, dish out some Malort shots. So uh Clinton Cole and um, Patrick Nolan were on the stand at the time. So uh, I guess kind of right time, right place or wrong time, wrong place. If you want to uh, put it that way, if you're not a fan of Malort. But anyway, then you guys hand delivered them while they were doing their um, you know, review of the farm system. And they took them down like champs. Um, but then after they came up to us and uh, asked if we had uh, spiked those with something uh, a little extracurricular. And uh, that was their first time taking Malort each. So. Glad that Shy Sox Weekly was able to deliver that. Yeah, so basically they thought we even roofied them, which yep. was hilarious. <laughs> that was the probably the best part. Um, but it was awesome because we got them like mid, um, like their mid, uh, whatever you would call. It. I was about to say seminar. I don't really know what you would uh, mid roundtable panel. Yeah, yeah mid panel. We caught them mid panel, so they had to sit up there with like what I would call the Malort face for like at mm. least another five minutes. And you got like you can tell that they were hurting, and like Pinos especially, not to call him out, but you could tell that he was sitting there wondering what the fuck he had just drank, and it was hilarious. I'm pretty um, sure my wife caught him like right when he was like beelining over to us right after, um, and I think he, I think he was like, I think he asked, "Did you poison me?" Oh, probably. Yeah, that definitely <laughs> that definitely happened. So, but apparently we found out that he's a huge fan of the show, which was awesome. So we always love finding fans of the show, especially if we're huge fans of them. So it works out. We immediately booked him, and that's why we're having him on as a guest today. So yep. without further ado, Pinos from Sox Machine. Pinos, how you doing tonight, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Of course. We have basically been talking about the uh, night that we had at the From the 108 and Sox Machine after party to basically kick this off. And we wanted you to let everybody know how you've been feeling since we basically took your Malort card. I, I'm, I'm not sure I've recovered from that just yet. Um, I, like, I, like I was telling you guys before the show, it, it, it felt like my stomach had taste buds on that. I had no idea what you guys put into my body, but I just was, I was like afraid for my life for a second. Like, what did you guys just give me? Yeah, so we were telling our listeners that you had thought that we roofied you. Uh, Tony was actually <laughs> saying that his wife had thought for a moment that you had said that we poisoned you. So it was just an all-around... <laughs> Great experience, and it was a pleasure to it was a pleasure to meet you. <laughs> yeah, it's ple- pleasure to meet you all too. Yeah, this, the, those events are great because I, I don't get down to the city that much anymore. And um, you know, when I get a chance to interact with the, the folks I'm on Twitter with all the time, it's a it's a great situation. 
Absolutely. I mean, that was like we we were just talking about a little bit too. Um, I think that's what everybody in White Sox Twitter needed, um, especially during this off season. was a was a nice little get together. Um, I don't know how much you played in, in setting that up. I know Sox Machine uh, uh, was was part of that, but uh, absolutely great time that was had that night. So uh, thank you guys from from Shy Sox Weekly to Sox Machine there for for getting that set up. Yeah, no problem. I can take absolutely no credit for that. I think about halfway through the night when I was already drunk, I offered help. Uh, Josh told me a few things I could do, and then I did not do those things. <laughs> Killed it. <laughs> that's awesome. That's that's absolutely awesome. So when when we delivered the, the Malort shot to you and Clinton, um, I think Josh had stopped the, the – the panel for just a brief moment and he he looked confused as to what we were doing and i had asked i had asked beefloaf if it was okay if we had done if we had uh bring up the shots for you guys and he encouraged it so uh what was what was going through your mind a little bit right after i I, we couldn't hear what was going on from our table um and we'll have you recap what you said during that panel because i'm sure it was absolutely informative about the farm system and, and what your outlook is on that but uh it was a little bit loud over at our table. So we didn't get a good chance to hear that. Uh, what point did we catch you in that? And did that throw you off at all for the rest of your, your panel? Uh, I think it did a little bit, actually. Uh, at one point, uh, Clinton was giving a response and then he asked me if I had anything to add to that. And I'm just like, I, I told him that, listen, I was not listening to a word you said. I just, <laughs> just like this look of fear on my face and the pit of my stomach right now. <laughs> Um, but for the, for the most part, what we were doing up there, Clinton was going through some of the prospects and then I was actually focusing a little bit more on the, uh, the major league side of things. So I was talking about, um, you know, potential outlooks for Giolito, Lopez and, and Moncada for this upcoming season. And I, I think that generally my responses were, were pretty positive on, on Lopez and Moncada and less so on Giolito, maybe not all that surprising, but um, I was talking about with Moncada, like uh, my hope for this upcoming season is that he can basically cut that strikeout rate. Um, I really like everything I've heard about his work ethic so far in the off season. Um, Lopez's last seven starts of the year, obviously uh, were, were excellent. Um, I think that's going to be a great springboard for him and hopefully he can, uh, you know, play that into successful campaign this year. And then with Giolito, um, obviously we saw just a whole horde of failures last season. And I, I think for him, it's just going to be a matter of trying to, um, bring a second pitch with him to the mound because he, he gets re- shelled in the first couple innings before settling down in three through six. But um, by that point, the damage is already done. So he's going to have to work on that. Yeah. Lucas Giolito has been on the hot seat with, with shy sacks weekly for, for quite a while. Um, yeah. We're not the biggest Giolito. Yeah, we're not, we're not very high on Giolito over here. Johnny, uh, Johnny might be the outlier on that. Uh, I'm kind of lukewarm. I'm not ready to call him complete bust, but it's not positive. Right I don't now. even know if we're um, re- really ready to like make that bland of a statement too, but we definitely don't like him <laughs> for sure right now <laughs> based off of what he did last year. I mean, I actually liked him a little bit at the end of um, 2017. I'm pretty he sure. Showed- yeah. I'm pretty sure when we started shy Sox weekly, I'm on tape. We were high he, on him. We were really high yeah, on him. I said he was showing number yeah. one, two stuff if he kept it up. And I think, I think I even argued for him to be opening day starter. Opening last day year. starter, you so did. I remember that. It's it's funny how how fast you can change your perception to some of these guys. Um, but 
Yeah, I'm I'm not looking forward to Lucas Giolito starts this year. It's it's one of those things where I was almost hoping that they would sign enough, you know, free agents this offseason to kind of push him into a fifth fifth starter battle um in spring training. I think he kind of needed that fire lit under him in order to turn it around and I don't think we're going to see that. He's he's as of now uh going to have a comfortable rotation spot entering the year and I don't think that's what he needs just my opinion i tell you i tell you what though i would much rather see lucas giolito in the battle for that fifth spot than dylan kobe that's for sure so whoa whoa hey hey come on that's my boy you're talking about you're a kobe guy <laughs> oh no <laughs> i i kind of had a little bit of a kobe obsession midway through the year when he started for like yeah for like off. a couple <laughs> weeks yeah we were there <laughs> after we that obviously things cooled off <laughs> that that game against boston i mean that you know, that was a high point. But so um, we are actually doing a um, award show, the Shy the Shy Sox Yearlies, and the game against Boston was one of our like three best White Sox games last year. The Kobe start, not a lot of people voted for it, but hey, I mean, you, yeah, you gotta you gotta think back. I mean, there wasn't too many like highlights last year, and that Dylan Kobe start. I mean, there was there was a good three week stretch I think where people actually thought that Dylan Kobe might be the diamond in the rough for this rebuild. Who were people yep. comparing him to? Someone else that got taken in the uh, Rule 5 draft or something like that. I forgot. Yeah, I don't know. But, I mean, he, he had a really good run. But at this point, I'm I'm kind of off the Dylan Covey train completely. I don't want to see him this year. I don't know about yeah, you so, guys. Yeah, I, I, I don't. So I just wanted to ask Patrick about that. So as the rotation stands, there's kind of not really a clear-cut fifth starter. Um, who do you think slots into that role? whether that be from inside the organization or outside. I think as of right now, you got to consider Manny Benuelos the favorite. Uh, I think that just the, the tone at Sox Fest, especially from, from Rick Hahn, seemed to be that uh, you know they were heaping high praise on him. And I, To be honest, even though I was so high on Kobe when he was doing well, um, I, I kind of understand that. I mean, we've already seen the Kobe movie before and, and Ben Willis is kind of like a, you know, shiny new toy. So, you know, basically just give another guy a shot and, and hope you kind of, you know, catch lightning in a bottle or something. Um, I, it seems like they're still in the market for some starter to at least put some pressure uh, on those two guys to perform. Uh, but I mean, it seems like if they are to do something like that, I, I don't really have a name, but it'd probably be something similar to like the Hector, Hector Santiago signing from last year, where you have somebody who, who's got some experience, but really isn't good enough that they would require a, a lengthy commitment or any sort of money or anything like that. So you're saying that uh, we're not in on Dallas Keuchel. Oh, I, I doubt it. Um, <laughs> it seems like they've kind of shied away from pretty much all of the, you know, significant free agents outside of the top two guys. And it, that that's based on how things have played out this year. And some of the dollar amounts that the guys have signed for, I, th- that seems to be their plan. Um, it's basically top of the market or bust. And I guess I can't blame them too much given that, you know, they, they kind of struck out on their last rebuild by hanging out in the middle of the market. So I guess they're just trying something new. Yeah. But you, you bring up the dollar amounts that some of these guys have signed for, it seems like there was a lot of good targets the White Sox could have went after this year, uh, given the dollar amounts that some of these free agents have signed for. Do you feel like we've missed opportunity this offseason, hanging around and waiting for Machado, uh, where we could have supplemented the roster in uh, other little areas to make some minor improvements that would have improved the ball club? What are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I, I think that there, there is a missed opportunity there. And, and once again, if, if you get somebody like Machado, I think that, you know, all the concern about missing out on other guys kind of goes away. But they are they have put themselves in this risky situation where if they aren't able to land one of the top two guys, they've effectively wasted a goal and opportunity to improve the team long term. Um, my, my thoughts on Yasmani Grandal are very, um, very, very positive and probably uh, tiresome at this point. But he struck me as a guy who uh, the White Sox could have pounced on. And I know they have some catching depth coming up, but, um, you know, both of those guys, uh, Zavala and uh, Collins have something to prove still. Um, and I was, I was kind of interested in Michael Brantley, to be honest. I know that he's a uh, kind of an injury risk, but uh, the contract he signed wasn't too overwhelming either. And, and certainly there's a lot of upside if he can stay healthy. So um, that's just a couple of guys that, that, that I thought would be useful. Um, it's kind of hard to argue about Patrick Corbin because he actually did get paid, but he was a guy that I was pretty interested in as well. We could just backtrack to Michael Brantley and just talk about him all episode if you want. I'm cool with that. So yeah, when, when when Brantley signed, it ruined John's Christmas. It, yeah, it actually like <laughs> shattered my Christmas. He he was he was really looking forward to a, a Brantley jersey, um, and then that just never came to fruition. So um, John's still pretty salty about that one. And it's like I feel like the Astros don't even need him. We need him. <laughs> I'm kidding. Honestly, I don't even know why I was so high on Michael Brantley. It's just because I felt like we really didn't have that much of a shot at Bryce Harper, and I still really don't feel like we have that much of a shot at Bryce Harper. So I was like, Michael Brantley's a plus war player. He knows the AL Central very well, and he, yeah, he'd probably want to stick it to the Indians. Give me some Brantley. Uh, yeah, for all those reasons, I, I agree. I think that he would have been a, a pretty nice fit out there. Um, you know, John Jay. I think for the money, he's a reasonable enough signing, but he's not somebody you want to run out there for like, you know, four or 500 plate appearances at this stage in his career. Brantley would just add so much credibility to that outfield mix. So as it stands right now, um, a little bit of a crowded outfield. Where do you see these starts going? Obviously, we're going to see Eloy Jimenez probably mid to late April. Um, so let's not worry too much about the first 15 games of the year. Uh, how do you see Ricky spreading this outfield out? Um, on a day-to-day basis? Well, I think um, Adam Engel is probably still in line for the Lions here uh, of uh, appearances in center field. Um, there's a couple guys around who are mild threats to his playing time, but I think that's been true for a while now. And, and the White Sox have really yet to challenge him ever since he's kind of stepped into the role full-time. Um, and then over in right field, I mean, they're kind of touting Daniel Palka as an option out there. I, I don't really know how long that's going to last. Um, I I love watching him hit. He's just so exciting. It's just that we, we all saw the outfield situation with him last year, and it, it's really not pretty. Like I think that it, it's between Adam, him, and Adam Dunn for the worst outfielder that I've seen play for the White Sox in the last like ten, twelve years. And you know, obviously Dunn's <laughs> exposure out there was pretty limited in only interleague play, but. Um, that that's something that's going to be tough to watch. And obviously they, they brought in John Jay. Um, there are going to be plate appearances for him. So I feel like we, if no further additions are made, that John Jay probably does take um, the majority of uh, starts in right field. So that's maybe how I feel like it shakes out. Um, the addition of Brandon Geyer, I, we'll see if he makes the roster. Um, he definitely has a good uh, track record against uh, left-handed pitching. So um there is definitely a role for him because it seems like a lot of these 
you know, more marginal types tend to hit from the left side for the White Sox now, so he could be useful. But um, overall, I don't see him making that big of an impact. Do you think Geyer cracks the roster opening day? Gut feeling? Uh, and and what would, would that say, mean for Delmonico, too? Yeah, I think maybe with Delmonico, I I don't know if he's going to make it, to be honest. Uh, he he really came on strong like July, August, but he, he had such a bad last six weeks of the season that I, I feel like his shot has kind of been wasted and he might, he might be moving on at this point. Um, but with that being said about Delmonico, there is a, there is then a chance for Geyer to crack the roster at least until uh, Eloy comes up, and then uh, maybe at that point an injury decides something, or maybe they just defer the you know the more difficult decision to that point. But I think I'd probably rather have Geyer than Delmonico at this point because the White Sox aren't exactly hurting for uh, you know first base DH types that can hit from the left side right now. Yeah, we got plenty. Uh... We got plenty of DH types on the White Sox 25 man as it stands right now, so I'm not really looking to add to that number. It's at least three. No. Yeah, yeah, Patrick. I was just going to ask you. You know, with uh, adding Yonder Alonso there, how does like we asked how the outfield could like shake down? Then what about you know that log jam that you have there with the first base DH types and then also um, rest of the infield? Yeah, I think think that's kind of a difficult situation just because, um, obviously, you know, Alonzo and Abreu share a position. I I don't think that Alonzo is really going to be a threat to Jose Abreu's everyday playing time, assuming that both are healthy. Um, So that probably bumps Alonzo more to, like, a DH-type role. But then, you know, the the big question, I think, right now with the current construction of the roster is what do you do with Palka? So I still think it makes no sense to run him out there in right field. It seems like the White Sox are touting his ability to do that, but... Um, he's he's still in my mind a DH and and Alonzo I think that he he's just a guy the Sox picked up trying to to drag Manny Machado here and I think that I honestly don't know if they really cared how that's gonna how that's gonna shake out when they pick them up um, but there's gonna be probably a lot of sharing guys probably only playing like three four times a week and um, that's gonna be the way it is because I don't think Abreu is gonna come out of the lineup unless he's you know really slumping or if he's uh, he's in pain. So if I have Jose Abreu on my fantasy roster, I shouldn't be worried about him losing at bats, is what you're saying? I, I wouldn't think so. Um, he's basically been the cornerstone of the White Sox offense. I know he had a down year last year, but I mean we're talking about like the last five years that um, he's really been the guy to uh, you know give some stability where there's been a lot of question marks around him, and I don't really see how you cut him out, um, especially given everything he means as a leader to this franchise. All right, so I want to just assume here for for a second. I know assuming's bad, but um, this is something I think that you've been you've been questioned about on Twitter as well. If Manny Machado were to come here and sign this deal, so let's assume that Manny Machado's playing on the south side opening day. Where do you see Tim Anderson, Moncada, and Machado on the field? Um, it sounds to me just – I'm only basing this off of a couple of quotes that have been made public, um, uh, mostly from what we heard from Rick Renteria, and that was based on just his talks with Machado. But it sounds to me like Machado is amenable to playing third base uh, when he signs. Um, and if that's the case, that's very good news because then obviously you can keep Tim Anderson at his natural and best position of shortstop. And I I, uh, I mentioned this the other day, but I, I'm really uh, – I think I'd be concerned about Tim Anderson's value if he was moved off of there because what he showed late in the year at short was excellent. And until he really picks it up at the plate um, 
with the uh, patience department. He's probably not going to be a strong enough hitter to really carry a different position besides short. Um, you know, at third, he doesn't get to use his excellent range. And, you know, Tim Anderson to the outfield is a possible suggestion, but none of us really know how that would look or uh, whether he'd save enough runs out there to justify uh, what's been a subpar bat. So I, I want to keep Tim Anderson at shortstop. And then I think I think with Mankata at second base, he's he's got all the you know the range and the athleticism he needs to play the position. It's just a matter of cleaning up those errors. And I think it makes quite a bit of sense to just leave him there and see if he can figure that out. Now I want to lead that into um, something that we ask everybody on Shy Sox Weekly because everybody loves Nick Madrigal. Um, and I've seen Nick Madrigal penciled into lineups in, in the 2019 season. Where where does Nick Madrigal slot into this? And what's your thoughts on the uber prospect that is Nick Madrigal? I, uh, I don't think Nick Madrigal sees the major leagues this year um, for a couple reasons. Number one, I mean – the White Sox didn't even promote Eloy Jimenez last season, and Eloy Jimenez started you know, levels above where Madrigal is right now. I know that the thought is that his hit tool is so good that he could advance quickly, but the White Sox have simply not been advancing hitters quickly, and I think that that's been kind of by design. Uh, but number two, that there were some concerns with Madrigal's bat this past season. Um, obviously, the contact rate was great, but um, that came with kind of a lack of walks and an absence of almost any power. Um, it seemed like he was just getting by by slapping singles to the opposite field. And until he's able to, you know, pull some balls for some extra base hits, it's, you can't really say he's dominating the competition because if you're hitting like, you know, 310 and you're coming with like a 340 OBP and like a 390 slugging percentage, like you're, you're you know, you're an okay player, but you're not really crushing the level and proving that you need to be any higher than you are. And I think he has some improvements that he needs to make before we can even, um, start planning the major league roster around him. Yeah, um, I'm pretty. I'm not like super high on Madrigal, but Tony's not that high on Madrigal, and I definitely like. I think Madrigal will eventually be like a good second baseman, and Tony just doesn't think that Madrigal is going to be the guy ever. So yeah, I expand on that. Patrick, I just wanted to expand on those thoughts because I'm with Tony on that, and me and him kind of agreed that there could be a scenario. I, I don't want this to happen, but I could see him never playing a game in a White Sox uniform. Either I just shipped think, off before then or just doesn't develop enough. I just think Tony saw way too many Jose Altuve player comps on Twitter that it fucking drove him insane to the point where he actually started <laughs> to hate Nick Madrigal. I'm oh, not boy. kidding. <laughs> I don't know where the I don't know where the uh, my disdain for Nick Madrigal came uh, from. I have no idea. It just started to develop. I think the immediate moment he was drafted, um, I, I don't know why, but um, I'm kind of with Johnny on that. I think that there's a there's a a very plausible scenario where you see Nick Madrigal shipped off for the final edition piece to a World Series White Sox team. Um, just the the timeline on his development. Um, I project him more as like a 2021 guy. And I know a lot of people are saying he could be the starting second baseman, you know, by the end of this year, early next year. Um, I see him more or less coming up along the lines of like a, uh, Luis Robert than an Eloy Jimenez, uh, for that matter. But, um, I, I just don't, I don't think the White Sox are going to give up on Moncada at second. Uh, the only plausible scenario I see would be moving Moncada over to third, 
And when we were talking about the potential of signing Bryce Harper over Manny Machado earlier this offseason, I thought that, you know, you could see Machado or uh, Mancata moving over to third base. But if you do lock up Machado, there's no room for Mancata moving over. So um, I, I see Nick Madrigal as more expendable in that scenario and thus being somebody who could be moved for a ton of value at a trade deadline if the Sox are in a uh, position for a playoff run. So I thought something that was interesting while we're talking about Madrigal was when I don't remember who released their top prospect rankings. They they posted Nick Madrigal as a shortstop slash second baseman. But I don't think since he's got to the White Sox system, and correct me if I'm wrong, he's played a single game at shortstop. One. One? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's enough to qualify as a shortstop slash second baseman, I guess. But do you ever see him maybe – transitioning to a different position than second base is what I'm trying to say, essentially. I, I mean, I don't know how much sense it really makes for him to do that because he's such if, a little guy. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I don't see him like, I don't see him, you know, being <laughs> like a little guy. <laughs> he's player. like, he's so tiny. <laughs> he's such a little guy. It's the little guy position. Second base. But that, that's exactly right. That's where you put the little guys. <laughs> that's where you put the little guys. <laughs> Oh, all right. Well, honestly, oh. Um, oh, I still I still don't know where you're at, where you're at on Nick Madrigal, <laughs> but I'm high on Nick Madrigal. I think that he's going to pan out someday, and I think that I don't think he's going to be like the greatest White Sox of all time, but I do think that he will eventually make a difference for the Major League Ball Club. Yes. All right. So obviously, I think he's still a little bit ways off. So let's get to someone who could possibly be up this year. Patrick, I wanted to get your thoughts on the catching situation um, that's currently in AAA. Uh, Zach Collins, Sebi Zavala, chances and a possible prediction date of when they could come up this year and uh, what they need to do to check those boxes that Rickon's so fond of. Yeah, I think uh, I think Zavala is probably a little bit ahead of where Collins is at this point. Um they obviously signed James McCann to fill the backup role. I, I imagine that part of the logic behind that is that James McCann isn't a particularly difficult player to show the door. Um, he's pretty bad at everything except throwing, and that that's a pretty easy cut to make if you have to. Um, Zavala, I I know that there's been uh, some talk about the fact that his uh, bat at AAA was slowed a little bit due to injury, and I think that he needs to prove that. Um, He's that he's passed that and he's able to, um, you know, improve on that. I think he had an OPS in the 600s in the hitters park, which, I mean, you can't really push for a promotion to the major leagues if your stats are that low in AAA. Uh, granted, it was a small sample, so I think that he doesn't really need to do a whole lot of convincing that he's passed it, but he does need to have improved offensive results. And then Collins, um, I, you know, I think he'll play for the White Sox in some way, shape, or form. I, I don't know if that's going to be as a catcher because – you know, pretty much outside the organization, universally, what we hear about him is that he's not going to stick behind the plate. Um, he, he could wind up being, at least from a defensive perspective, like a Carlos Santana type who can maybe you know sit around back there behind the plate once or twice, but um, is primarily more of a first-base DH type. Because um, definitely the power and the patience can play, and I think that he could probably be you know, at least a league average hitter um, at some point, but uh, obviously some concerning contact issues there. So for him, the defense and the contact is uh, the two big things that need to be focused on before he can justify promotion. Yeah, Collins is actually an interesting name because it's been, I believe this will be his third professional season since being drafted. 
And, you know, at that point, for a first-round draft pick, especially of, like, the hitting caliber that he had when he got drafted, you would hope to at least see him this year. You know what I'm saying? So I do like yeah. what you're saying with the whole, like, the even the Santana, maybe not comp that you're giving him, but basically saying that he could play first base. I would love to see him playing first base or DHing. I don't think I don't, – I don't even know that much about Charlotte, but do they have a DH? I don't think they do. They, they play they play with one. Um, yeah. I don't know who it is currently, and I think the plan is for him and uh, Zavala to kind of alternate into that role so that uh, they can both get plate appearances when they're not catching. Okay, yeah. So, But I would still love to see him defensively take a couple games at first base just to maybe see if that could translate to the major league level. Yeah, I think it's a good idea. I mean, you don't want to pass up on a guy whose batting eye seems pretty good and who definitely has the power to cut it. So um, any way you can squeeze him into a lineup would probably be preferable. Let's move over to some pitching. We had talked a little bit about the starting rotation early on. Is there a specific pitcher that you see being able to maybe jump into that fifth role, maybe not at the beginning of the year, but moving forward throughout the year, someone that can get promoted throughout the system? Well, I mean, I think uh, I think Dylan Cease is the guy to, to take a look at because um, he's kind of – I kind of place him on the Michael Kopech timeline from last season. It seems like they're kind of at, at similar stages um, you know him this year versus Kopech last year, and we we might see him later in the year if he continues his dominance of the minor leagues. Um, it, it certainly seems like the White Sox aren't as concerned with gaining the service time of pitchers as they are with hitters, and there's a good there's a I mean a lot of sense to that. I mean pitchers are greater injury risks, so you kind of want to move them along and take them when they're healthy. So I mean we saw that with Kopech, right? I mean he got promoted and then needed Tommy John surgery the next day, so or not the next day, but you know pretty close after. So I think Dylan Cease is somebody who would um, – someone to look out for later in the season that would maybe displace a Ben Walos or a Kobe or, you know, whoever they might sign off the scrap heap. Um, and then it, the one guy that I've been keeping my eye on is Jordan Stevens down in AAA. Um, I, I think that if you did have Quentin on here, he'd probably, you know, give me a slap in the face for saying that. But he he's a guy who's uh, definitely shown progress down there and uh, seems like somebody who's, you know, as an older prospect, at least worthy of getting a crack to see if he could stick at the back end of a major league rotation. Yeah, that, that's interesting that um, you bring him up because I've heard that name tossed around too. Um, and, you know, for talking, giving him a shot as to watching Dylan Covey starts, I think I would kind of uh, lean towards that option. Um, I, I wanted to touch a little bit on some of the bullpen guys. Um, just so... With Carson Fulmer, what do you think is going to be his uh, plan this year? Seriously, I just I, I, I really love don't how you bring it. up bullpen guys, and the first name you bring up is Carson well, Fulmer. <laughs> that's that's, awesome. that's what I'm thinking realistically there, because they did move him to the bullpen when he was sent back down, and then also the other guys out there. Have you heard any news on Dane Dunning as far as um, his injury uh, is concerned, and then um, just any other minor league guys? You know, Zach Birdie maybe. Um, anything on that front, Patrick? Yeah, so uh, with uh, Dane Dunning, uh, I was uh, kind of talking with uh, Ryan McGuffey on Twitter the other day, and he, he mentioned that Dunning uh, had made a full recovery from his elbow injury, so that's uh, that's pretty good news. Um, the one thing that gives me pause about him is that the greatest predictor of future injury is past injury, so even if he's healed from the current situation, uh, that that's always going to be a risk with him, but uh, it's good to hear that he's proceeding with, with no setbacks at this point. Um, with Carson Fulmer, I mean, I have a hard time answering your question because I've kind of stopped thinking about Carson Fulmer, <laughs> to be completely <laughs> honest with you. Um, he, he's got to show that he can, you know, survive in a bullpen without walking a ton of guys. Um, 
he really hasn't shown much for me since he's been drafted, and I, I, I'm leaning hard into thinking that that's a busted pick. But, you know, as long as he's got options and he can hang around in AAA, I guess you never really write him off. So just going into some of the new proposed baseball rules, and we'll touch on these a lot more in depth, but could you guys imagine bringing in Carson Fulmer last year and him being required to face three batters? I don't think you'd want that as a starter. Yeah, no, I couldn't. I couldn't imagine that. With, you'd be worried a, about it as a starter. Yeah, I was about to say I couldn't imagine that with a few pitchers on the 2018 White Sox. So we're definitely not going to dive into that. Not in favor of that rule. No, no. As as a White Sox fan, I don't think anybody should be in favor of the uh, three batter minimum. Uh, well, so actually, yeah, let's actually, we can talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about it. If you guys want to. Um, so the main one that everybody has been talking about, and I actually really want to hear your um, opinion on this, Pinos, but a lot of people are saying that beginning maybe as early as 2019 that the DH position might be universal and that the NL will adopt it. Yeah, let's and go round table. There will on be this. no more pitchers hitting, which I would not be a fan of. But that's because I'm a fan of an AL team, and that's just where I stand on that. So <laughs> yeah, I let, love the let's go round table on this, and we'll let we'll let Patrick start it off. I want I want everybody's uh, take on on this little thing because we had a good article come out today from uh, DJ, uh, the blogger uh, for Shy Sox Weekly, uh, and he, and he gave some uh, some good details, some some hashtag math behind that. Um, as to why uh, he's in favor of there, or there being ADH in the NL. And uh, I, I disagree, but uh, I also want to hear Patrick start this one off. Yeah, my, my opinion is that I I always find it to be completely disheartening when we're playing inter- interleague games and then we get to the bottom of the lineup and you know maybe there's, there's like one or two outs and it almost feels like the rally is just going to die at that point because here comes the pitcher spot and you know whether there is a strategic element to that and, and certainly there is like I mean there's a lot more to think about with, with double switches and all that but um, I, I don't really watch baseball for for double switches as much as I do to, to see things happen um, you know that are productive and I, I don't. I really don't like the idea of pitchers hitting. Like it's. It's just. It, they're very, very pathetic at it. With maybe you know two or three exceptions across the league, and I, I would rather just have somebody who's actually been pre- preparing for that role, actually doing that role. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a reason that you don't just bring in Joes off the street just to you know play in major league games. You want to see people do what they're good at, and, and pitchers are not good at hitting. Suarez. My take on it, which I basically kind of alluded to briefly when I had originally brought it up, is that I would not be in favor of that. And I actually respect what you're saying, Pinos, and eventually my opinion will probably come around on this, but I really enjoy watching a pitcher smash a fucking home run. That's literally like one of my favorite <laughs> things about baseball. I actually did a thread today about like specific White Sox pitchers that have had hits that have literally made my day when they happen. Starting with the Matt Albers double against the Mets in 2016. That hit literally oh, yeah. made that season. <laughs> that was the best play of that season easily. You know, 20, <laughs> 2017, the Anthony Renato. Like, who the fuck is Anthony Renato? Nobody even probably remembers that dude. But he smacked a home run against the goddamn Chicago Cubs. Like, I don't know. That's my he stand on He had a perfect game it. going. He did. He yeah, did. that was yeah. – that, that dude that day was – oh, my God. <laughs> so – I don't know. I'm all for it. When you have pitchers that can hit, like 
Baumgartner and like Arietta types and guys like that. And you even got younger guys coming up. Who's to say that some of these younger guys in the Sox system can't hit? And I'd love to see them get a chance to fucking rip some dingers in NL parks when we play them. I don't know. That's just me. I'd love to hear what you got to think about it, Tony. Do you want me to go or you want Johnny? Mine's quick, so I'll go first. All right. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I'm totally in favor of a universal DH or whatever, the NL adopting it. Um, I've been proponent of that for a while. Um, just reading DJ's article today, uh, you talk about those guys, and it's like, okay, yeah, seeing Arietta um, hit a, you know, whatever, a home run. He's got, like, power every once in a while. But he's, like, you know, the, the, look at their, like, slash lines, and they're hitting in, like, the one, like, 60s to, like, 190s. And it, it's just, just get the, I, I agree with Patrick, get the players that are best at what they do up there. And um, that that's just my take on it. I, I see no need to, um, you know, the double switches and stuff. I agree with Patrick. You're, you're not going to a game to watch a double switch, and it's not all that, you know, the tactical stuff uh saying nl managers are better because of it i don't know level it let's see you know let's see uh kyle schwarber dh for the cubs let's see you know uh i just uh i don't know tony i know you're gonna you're gonna roast this and say about your extra innings and whatever so i'll hand it over to you but i'm in favor of the dh so johnny knows exactly where i'm going with this because i already spilled this in the thread earlier today um, in the Shy Sox Weekly group chat, but uh, I am way against giving up the the pitcher hitting in the NL. Uh, I'm a bigger fan of the NL style of play, and I'm just going to give a quick example here. Um, Willie Harris pinch hit for Freddie Garcia in Game Four of the 2005 World Series, and Willie Harris ended up scoring the winning run for the. 2005 Chicago White Sox and I would venture to say that Willie Harris never gets on base and Jermaine Dye doesn't drive him in and what you guys remember as that one nothing victory uh would probably look a little bit different if there was a DH in that game because Willie Harris never enters the game uh you go and you take a look at the game before that I don't think Jeff Blum comes up and rips that home run if the pitcher doesn't get taken out and you have to make a bunch of switches. I'm a huge fan of unpredictable underdog heroics in extra innings ball games. And a lot of that stems from having to pinch hit for your hitter or for your pitcher. And you don't get that opportunity to see some of the craziness in the AL. Um, the only thing that you really see in an extra inning ball game in the AL is just the the team running out of pitchers. You don't see necessarily a shortened bench as much as you do in the NL. And I like that craziness. I like having to see what a manager will do in late inning situations um, when they've already pinch hit for their pitcher in the sixth and that guy's already been used and you know, they're out of opportunities. So now you have to, I don't know, it, it becomes a chess match to me. And I think that that's part of the art of baseball rather than just seeing, yeah, you can, you can go ahead and add a DH in there and you might get a few extra home runs. You might get to see Kyle Schwarber play a few extra games, but in the grand scheme of things, to me, part of what makes baseball baseball is 
guys like Jeff Blum coming off the bench in the World Series where he probably has no business playing in and hitting a home run and becoming a hero. And that, to me, is far better than watching Kyle Schwarber hit a few extra home runs every year. I could care less about seeing that when you get storylines that you know live on as memories forever. So that's that's why I'm a fan of the NL style of play because it, it kind of facilitates some of that stuff. All right, I have three words to say, and Tony, I'm glad you're on my side. And those three words are pitchers who rake. Three of the most beautiful words in baseball when you put them together. Pitchers who rake. I literally love that state that statement. Like pitchers who rake is one of the best sayings in all of baseball. And if you get rid of pitchers who rake, you're making baseball worse. Ooh, I hope they do get rid of it this year because they tweeted all those like threads last year. Um, so I hope they get rid of it as they're pushing towards this. Um, you know, DH for both leagues. So we'll see how that plays <laughs> out. <laughs> This could be worse than the Northwestern Illini rivalry on Chi Sox Weekly. I don't think it's going to yeah. be that bad. I yeah. Honestly, like I said, I'm open to hearing other people's opinions on it, and maybe I will eventually come around. But for right now, I'm a big pitcher's who rate guy. All right, well, let's get let's get uh, Patrick's back in here because uh, we we took the mic over. Yeah, for a we, while just, there. Let's, we just we uh, just shy socks. Weekly let's, do. let's if if you want to comment on a few of these proposed rule changes and just what your thoughts are on them. There was the obviously we just talked about the DH um, and the three batter minimum for pitchers slightly, um, but then the single trade deadline before the All Star break, so none of the July thirty first stuff, and then um, you know the month later the waiver deadline. Um, and then 20-second pitch clock, uh, and then the expansion of rosters to 26 men uh, with a 12-pitcher maximum. So do you have uh, you like any of those, or do you dislike any of those for any particular reasons, Patrick? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I do like the idea of adding a, a 26th player with the maximum on pitchers. I think the maximum on pitchers is kind of essential because you're starting to see guys get super specialized and it slows down the game. Um, um, the other ones, a pitch clock, I mean – you know, I think that uh, I don't really think that it plays. I mean, there's like a, maybe a few pitchers in baseball that work pretty slow and make it kind of, make it somewhat unbearable. But I really don't think that the pitch, excuse me, uh, the pitch clock is you know going to make that big of a difference. And it's probably going to be um, something that the players don't like. So I don't know if that's that's something I'm a huge fan of. But I mean, I. I'd be a fan of getting a, the, the 26th player on the roster, get get more bench flexibility. Um, I think that'd be pretty cool. Um, and then maybe to just piggyback off those last conversations, I, th- I thought that there was some some great points made about the uh, um, about the pitchers hitting because yeah, you, you do get more weird baseball that way. And I mean, the thought of Bartolo Colon slugging a dinger is just so pure and beautiful. So I mean, I, I can kind of see where you guys are coming from there. And I, I guess I would miss that kind that piece of it. Um, people really talk, talk about that. making baseball fun and like how baseball isn't as fun as it used to be and like i think they played that cologne home run highlight over and over on sports center for like a year straight <laughs> those are the type of things that make baseball fun it's just like the the unorthodox happening a pitcher hitting a home run because cologne was like 40 when he hit that. He had had so many career at-bats before that. Like Just stuff like that is so cool about pitchers being able to hit. Yeah, so I guess I, I guess I would miss that. I mean, there's, it's, it's a balancing act. I mean, for, I guess for every, 
for every time I get annoyed that it just feels like an inning's over because some pitcher who doesn't know how to swing the bat's coming up. Like you, you forget about things. I guess I forget about things with the Burley home run and, and those World Series memories even are a great point because obviously those, a lot of different guys got in the game for that for that reason. So um, yeah, all right, you you guys are kind of making me uh, at least soften my stance a little bit on that. There we go. All right. Um, let's, yeah, let's... we had kind of briefly brought up that Matt Davidson had signed with the Texas Rangers. So we're going to briefly go around and say our favorite Matt Davidson memory, which is a little thing that we do on Shy Sox Weekly, when someone that we actually probably didn't really care too much about ends up signing or being traded to somewhere else. So we're going to start with Tony. Tony, what was your favorite Matt Davidson memory? My favorite Matt Davidson memory is when I included him in the Shy Sox yearly polls, and he beat both you and my Sox summer for best mustache. Um, I thought his mustache <laughs> game was very strong this year. Uh, we need more mustaches on the field. We've lost Tyler Saladino. Uh, Matt Davidson brought it. Um, I heard Ricky Renteria is growing the facial hair out this year. Uh, I'm excited to see if he shaves the lower part, if he can get the, the stash going. Uh, we've lost a lot of good stashes in Chicago this past uh, past year. We lost Coach Quenville. Uh, that was a good stash. We lost Matt Davidson, Tyler Saladino. I mean, all the stashes just seem to keep going down and down. So uh, we need more stash game. Um, but that was my favorite Matt Davidson moment when he won uh, Burt Reynolds' tribute stash of the year. Okay. Um, let's pass it over to Johnny. I kind of want to clean it up because this is a story that I don't even think I've told either of you guys, but it's pretty funny. So I want to come in last with the Matt Davidson memories. All right. Well, mine, um, hard to forget that opening day, uh, three home run performance in Kansas city. Um, it looked like it was like cold enough to where your hands would like rattle by hitting a single or a ground out. <laughs> so, um, props to him for just raking in that cold weather. Um, and that's, you know, just something you remember and probably are, you know, that was, uh, I think, uh, I don't know Tony, was that the winner for the yearlies for the best game of the year? Uh, I don't know if it was best game of the year voted by the fans. Yeah, I think the Kopech day actually, oh, uh, yeah, beat right. that out, right, but, uh, it was, it was basically, I think the high point of the season because yeah. after opening day, everybody, including myself was, were just taken aback by the White Sox offense and thought that we sure. could potentially be ahead of schedule on the rebuild. And it was kind of that fool's gold a little bit for, for one game, but uh, yeah. yeah then, hope springs uh, internal. So just one, uh, then you already covered it with the mustache, Tony, but I love uh, how it produced that uh, three panel picture of the progression of his mustache because it was the end of a road trip and he had shaved it down a little bit each day. So that was just hilarious to see all those three side by side by side. So Patrick. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of biased and I know this is kind of like a shameless plug, but I think it was about, it was a few weeks to maybe a month after the first time he made a pitching appearance. And I was just starting to think about all of the, um, you know, the draft focus on two-way players and obviously everything Otani had done up to that point. Um, so that I wrote I wrote an article on Sox Machine um, suggesting that the White Sox make Davidson into a full-fledged two-way player because obviously with his defensive limitations, he seemed like somebody who was going to be hard to justify having on a roster. But if you didn't need to actually use an extra bench slot to keep him, he would be great as somebody who could hit lefties and, and pinch hit and you know, fill in as the last time of the bullpen. Um, so I wrote an article on that. And then 
it was either that night or the very next day that the White Sox actually gave him his second pitching appearance and he was lights out again. And I think Benetti even mentioned something about the, the article on the broadcast that day. So I don't know. I was like pretty like thrilled by all that because usually when I make like a big proclamation or have an idea, it comes crashing down in flames and events just kind of completely contradict everything I said. So that was, <laughs> that, that, that made me pretty happy. I don't know if I'm stupid or cursed or what. I honestly am pissed that I did not just go before you because that was fucking awesome. <laughs> I wish you went last. But, yeah, so this isn't that great. But I went to a game, I think it was, like, 2016. I don't know. Matt Davidson was, like, pretty new to the White Sox. He wasn't playing that often. But this girl sitting in my section knew who Matt Davidson was. So I go to the game with my dad, actually. But this girl is wearing, like a t-shirt with Matt Davidson's face on it and a Matt Davidson like jersey and she's just screaming like for a good majority of the game like Matt Davidson have my babies like she had a new one like every and like he was looking he looked uh, every couple times because we were sitting on like the Johnny they were right by where your seats are so we were sitting on the third base side yeah and this shit was hilarious I tried she was sitting in front of us so I honestly wish she was sitting behind us because I wanted to get like a picture of her just get up because she was just the biggest Matt. I wonder if she still has that same energy, but she was the biggest Matt Davidson fangirl. And I just thought it was crazy that like someone that I mean, I knew who he was because I knew we gave up Addison Reed for him and I was pissed when we did that. But I like did not really know too much about the guy. And that was like my first Matt Davidson experience. And to be quite frank with you, probably my best because well, actually the three home run game, but I never really liked Matt Davidson. (laughs) But yeah, it was a good time. My dad thought it was funny as shit. It was awesome. All right. I think we're getting towards the end here that, yeah, (laughs) that's uh, just about all that's on our topic sheet here. But um, if we just get like some general predictions, um, you may have given them at the um, after party, but um, it was hard to hear uh, if you weren't right up close to it. So can you give a general prediction? You don't have to go with a specific record, but a win range um, for this team. And then we're going to throw a little twist on it. Maybe do it with without Machado's team as it stands or with Machado. Yeah, I think um, you know, as the team as it stands, probably looking at somewhere between seventy and seventy-two. Um, probably help the weak division probably helps a little bit there. And then, you know, with Machado, I'd say probably you know bump that up to you know, maybe the you know seventy-four to seventy-seven range. And I, I'm in, honestly at that point, you know, if they, if they were to pull off Machado and like Jack Peterson, like you're get, you're getting pretty close to an average team and and, and a team that could. Uh, you know, proved to be a threat at the very least, um, you know, maybe not like a favorite to win a wild card, but at least a team that you can pencil in as part of the race at the beginning of the year. That's right Fair there. enough. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we're probably going to end up giving our predictions on all that probably end of spring training. We don't want to do all that right now, but <laughs> yeah. as in we're not prepared. Okay. For, I got to collect one. my thoughts. No, I, I am. I am. I could easily just off the top of my head, just rifle. I'm good. Like that's, I'm good with shit like that. Predictions may change. Yeah. yeah. There, there's an asterisk exactly. on any, predi- and on I any like prediction. That you did like the with or without Machado, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. So basically, do you think the Sox are going to add anybody else uh, besides a Machado? moving forward because we're basically rolling into spring training here now yeah, you brought up that jock peterson trade that may or may not happen um i'm kind of curious if you think that that's dead at this point 
Yeah, I mean, there was a little bit of smoke at the beginning, but I, I, I'm kind of souring on that. I mean, especially because the White Sox weren't the only team that was reported to be interested. And I, I think that they're probably still in the stage where they're hesitant to give up decent you know, decent to good prospects for, for short-term upgrades. So um, I would probably guess that it's not going to happen, but you never know. All right. All right, I think that's all we have for, for Mr. Nolan. Uh, Patrick, it was awesome having you on. Uh, hope to have you back on again. Do you have any, uh, any closing thoughts that you wanted to, uh, say before you, uh, take off for the night? Um, nothing in particular. Just thanks a bunch for having me on. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Pinols, we definitely got to catch a game and grab some beers this, this year, man. You're a lot of fun to drink with. <laughs> sure, man. would love to. We'll leave the Malort at home, but we'll definitely grab some Modellos. Yeah, I saw you. I saw <laughs> you're a big Budweiser guy, so I'm I'm excited to have another Budweiser drinker in the in the stand. So hopefully we can, like John said, catch a game. Excellent. Yep. All right. You have a good night, Pinos. Awesome, Pinos. You too. Thanks. Yep. Thanks, thanks again. Man. Take care, guys. All right. Before we close the show out, we need to get to a word from our sponsor. That was Patrick Nolan, also known as P. Knowles on White Sox Twitter. You could follow him at Sox Machine, but only M-A-C-H underscore P. Knowles. Uh, that's at Sox Mash underscore P. Knowles on Twitter. Um, he knows what he's talking about when it comes to White Sox stuff. Uh, excellent having P. Knowles on. Um, and uh, it, it's good to hear that he's still alive after that Malort shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the... We got the follow-up report wellness check. Yeah, so that's, yeah, I've never, I've never heard the uh, the old stomach or the taste buds in my stomach deal, but that was new. Yeah, so I was talking to some of my buddies over the weekend um, about that, like, and we were just talking about like the taste of malort and what it is, and it's like it's kind of like you know it shocks you at first, but you know it doesn't really hit you until maybe about like four or five seconds after. And they said it is the gasoline aftertaste, and that is the best way to describe it. I wish I would have thought of that while uh, Pinos was on air, but hopefully if he's listening to this episode, he uh, is nodding his head in uh, agreement with that statement because I think it's pretty accurate. <laughs> Yeah, everybody out there has hopefully been at least Malort bombed or had a Malort shot at some point, so they experience why they should never voluntarily drink. Like, the fact that you guys say that your buddy that you do Four Feathers with, like, that's his drink of choice, like, worries me about this guy. I've never met he him, also, but yeah, that worries he also me. Fight, yeah. He also does MMA fighting, so there's, okay. yeah, there's definitely he's... something wrong with him. Like, <laughs> There's nothing wrong he's, with that. But, he's he's yeah. more of a man than all of us put together here. So yeah, that's, that's what I that. mean. Like, there's something. Well, Cherizi's been doing a Malort shot every day that Machado doesn't sign, too, so. But like, is he voluntarily doing that, or is that like I don't think I don't think sure I would have, we would have to ask him if he like voluntarily would like ask for a shot of a lord at the bar, because like I mean Johnny you did it but you don't like you don't do that like yeah no like, that was that yeah, was for Tyler it's definitely you, it's definitely absence. not something that somebody like voluntarily signs up to be like I'm it, I'm a Malort drinker it happened drinker. to me once and I'll make sure it never happens again I even know the smell of it so like I'll know yeah. if someone's trying to fuck with me yeah like, you just turn that happen. shit down right away nope yep nope. Yeah, not like, doing thanks. that. Thanks. Move around. <laughs> Pinoles, now you know. But uh, yeah, I almost—I was gonna say welcome to Chicago, but I didn't know where Pinoles was from when we did all that because like uh, Clinton was like essentially new to Chicago. He had just moved here, but I like felt mm. bad, so I didn't drop the whole welcome to Chicago. And then yeah, I found out I that date, Pinoles. 
they didn't you know, from like Buffalo Grove, I think. He yeah, said. they did not know that it was Malort when we gave it to him. They were just like shots from Shy Sox Weekly, and yeah, yep. he was like huge fan, and I felt bad actually when he like yeah, it was kind all of that. I was like, oh fuck, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anyways, thanks again for coming on, Pinos. If you're if you're listening, but um, yeah, we hope to bring you guys another episode. Uh, much sooner we're not going to wait three weeks we got pitchers and catchers reporting in seven days like we had said and then spring training is another like two weeks after that um we got johnny going down there with uh kinsler they're going to cover that a little bit for us like we had touched on earlier um we're gonna schedule a date for the yearlies pretty soon and then we'll bring that to you guys but other than that um Let's hope we sign Manny fucking Machado, dude. Yeah, I got. <laughs> yeah, I just got one thought on that Manny Machado thing. So, you know, like we said, we didn't do an episode for three weeks, and uh, that, you know, it sucks. But there's also kind of an absence after Machado's agent went nuclear on Olney and um, uh, who else was it? That, oh, Nightingale. Yep. And he actually mentioned him. So literally you saw rumors cool off. Literally nothing was reported for like two and a half weeks after that. And now there's kind of the Hector Gomez starting to ramp back up. So hopefully that means something's going to come uh, to fruition soon here. But that was just my kind of take on it. Um, it's odd when a agent actually, you know, calls guys out. But I think that kind of softened the media's uh, speculation for a little while. Yeah, nobody yeah. wanted to touch that with a 10-foot pole. My mom says that. All right. <laughs> Until next time, let's go White Sox. Yeah, let's go Sox. Yep, go White Sox.